You guys have heard me for a few weeks now talking about how amazing Sonos is. And I'm telling you, I'm someone who's like, I don't think Sonos could be doing a better job with their products. Well, guess what? They just released a new one. The Sonos one makes it even better. It hooks up with the Amazon Alexa. You can now talk to your Sonos, say, turn the volume up or start playing it in the bedroom. I'm about to walk into the bedroom. So turn it on in the bedroom too. I want to be listening to this song there. And it's great. And I love it. And now for a limited time, Sonos is offering the listeners a beautiful anonymous 10% off one order. You want to spend $2,500 or less, you're going to get 10% off any product, Sonos.com. Use the promo code STORIES10, that's capital S-T-O-R-I-E-S, one zero, at Sonos.com, 10% off. You get the offer going, I'm telling you, you're going to love these speakers. Wanted to tell you about another really great show here at Earwolf. It's Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. Everybody knows Gilbert Gottfried. The guy's an icon. As a comedian, everybody loves Gilbert, right? You know, there's a lot of mainstream, right? We're talking Aladdin, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Problem Child, Affleck, telling the aristocrats joke. Gilbert's podcast is great. Brings celebrities like Weird Al, Judd Apatow, Ira Glass onto the podcast. Talks about show business, legends, old horror movies, folklore, dirty jokes, stories from the road. Also, there's a documentary called Gilbert about his life. It's in select theaters now. You can check out new episodes of Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast every Monday, wherever you listen. Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Earwolf.com. Enjoy it. Hello to all my dung fungies. It's beautiful, anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hey, everybody, it's Chris Gethard here. Hello, welcome. Another episode of Beautiful Anonymous is upon us, and I feel so very lucky about that. I always say it, I feel very lucky that I stumbled into this idea, that you guys all support it, and this is such a big part of my life. Thank you a thousand times. Thank you for supporting it. Thanks to everybody who's supporting the Chris Gethard Show on True TV. It really means a lot uh, that you guys support the show. We're coming up on the end of the season, so uh, yeah, last week I... Uh, Spent the whole episode getting beat up by uh, jujitsu guys, and it was really fun, and I'm lucky to live this life that I live, and you guys support that life, and thank you for that. Also, want to put this out here. Um, so many people were so kind about Career Suicide, which was the HBO special I did a few months back. But the album of Career Suicide just came out this week, and I'm very proud of it. And uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of the beautiful Anonymous fans, uh, you guys have actually been some of the biggest champions of that special. So I wanted to let you know it's out there. It's, it, you can get it digitally. If you want to download it, you can find it at DonGiovanniRecords.com or on iTunes and all those things. And if you want a collector's item, we're selling it on vinyl, purple vinyl, two discs, double vinyl, cool art by my friend Diana, who's also done a bunch of the beautiful Anonymous art over the years. And uh, yeah, just a cool thing to put out there. All right. Last week's episode, I talked to a... Uh, 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 a young folk singer who's part of the Moravian faith. A lot of people were fascinated by the Moravian faith. It was cool in the Facebook group, Beautiful Anonymous, the community. We saw a lot of people. There were many people going, uh, I am Moravian, or people saying, I live among Moravians. And I am shocked to hear any reference to Moravians in anything in the pop culture sphere. Cool. It was very interesting to read a lot of people talking about it from the, uh, the inside perspective. That was cool. Also, a lot of people from the... Uh, a lot of people telling me that in the singer-songwriter world that playing three hours in a winery is not unusual at all. And I find that uh, impressive and shocking. As a performer myself, the idea that I would perform for three hours ever 
let alone in a winery. That sounds like so much heavy lifting and so difficult. So kudos to you, singer-songwriters, for all your hard work in the wineries across this world. Thank you for that. Okay, this week's episode, I'm excited about it. One of my absolute favorite things in this world is anytime, not just on the podcast, anytime I meet somebody who does something very specific with their life, who's willing to fill me in on it. I always think that's the most fascinating thing in the world. There's all these people, there's all these different things you can do that I'll never get to do. We're gonna talk to a scientist. We're gonna talk to a lady who's a scientist, but who's also very into her chosen field and very into a, a, a wing of science that's very specific. This was one that when we had this call, I immediately, uh, I talked to my wife a few minutes afterwards. I called my wife and I was like, I just had a beautiful and honest call and you're gonna love it. Because my wife, lo- anytime someone gets really nerdy and specific about some science thing, my wife loves it. And I think a lot of us out there are like that. And I think podcast fans in particular are pil- particularly built to, oh, you want to spend an hour telling me about something ultra specific? Yeah, I'll listen to that. This is a uh, young lady who's very charming and very energetic and very nerdy about fossils and rocks and all sorts of other geeky things. And I loved it. And you will, I'm also, I bet a lot of you guys are going, well, if it's about science, why is the word splooge in the title? Gethard, keep listening and you'll find out. Enjoy the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello? Hi. Hi, is this Chris? It is. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. Well, I have to say, I'm uh, I'm glad there was a, a lag time so I could chill out a little bit. <laughs> oh, there's no reason. Why would you need to chill? I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot from New Jersey. There's no need to chill. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm I'm talking to Chris Gethard. I've been listening to you for a, a long time now. This is really cool. Well, that's nice. And thank you for listening. And it means a lot. <laughs> well, how's your day going? Uh, it's good. Today is good. If you ask me how my week or my month is going, I'd say it's full of nothing but stress and fear. But that's okay. I think that's pretty on brand for me. So no one's too surprised by that. Is your TV show still giving you a little bit of stress? Oh, you have no idea. Oh, you have no idea. And my life is very good. I can't. I'm not. I don't want to sit here moaning about having a TV show. But uh, it's also. I'm not. I'm not necessarily built for pressure. There's a lot of people's jobs on the line. Got to try to get this thing picked up. And the numbers are heading in the wrong direction. Never good. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? Maybe picked you up know- or canceled by the time the world hears hears this. Well, I've been. I, I want to watch the show. I really do, but I, I refuse to pay for cable. Okay, cord cutter. I refuse to pay for cable. What about so, iTunes. What about I, iTunes? I was hoping that. What do you? What about? I do have I, iTunes. Yeah, you get it on iTunes or, or uh, Hulu Plus. A bunch of ways. Oh, it's on Hulu Plus. I only uh, have regular Hulu. Oh, son of, oh God. Oh God. <laughs> So I have to admit, you uh, (laughs) I'm super jealous of you because you live in my favorite place on earth. Queens? New York City. Oh, New York in general. Well, not not specifically Queens, maybe, but uh, (laughs) I spent eight weeks in New York, and it was a very fond time in my life. Oh, when was that? What year? (laughs) 
2015. 2015, eight weeks in New York. What brought you to New York for eight weeks? Well, I was an undergraduate majoring in geology. Geology, the study of and, rocks. Uh, yeah, yeah. I actually did graduate, so I, that's, I guess that's technically my title as of now. I'm a geologist. I'm talking to a bona fide geologist. But, yeah. <laughs> wow. Never met a geologist. Uh, we're more common than you think. You just need to go to the pub. The pub? Where are these geologist <laughs> pubs that I've been missing out on? <laughs> well, the, the stereotype is that we drink a lot of beer. I mean, at the uh, at, I oh, went I to the it. annual meeting. I missed the gag. Last year. The, it's called, right, so GSA every year. It's the Geological Society of America. It, last year it was in Denver. And there was, I mean, it was sponsored by a brewery. So geologists like, to, idea. <laughs> geologists like to get together and just get hammered? Yeah, that's half the job. I mean, we really just get paid to drink beer and hike. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> Aren't you supposed to be working hard to study the shifting tectonic plates of the earth and predicting our ecological future? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm teasing, but uh, yeah, that's our stereotype. We're always drinking beer. But no, uh, I had taken um, a paleontology class that had really sparked my interest. So I applied to be a paleontology intern at the American Museum of Natural History there in Manhattan. Oh. And they actually hired me, which was awesome. So I got to go and hang out there for eight weeks. That's awesome. That's a great museum. Yeah. It was it was a blast, and I absolutely fell in love with the city. I would go and work there and live there for forever if they would have me. Is there a big geology scene in New York? You know, uh, well, you got you got AM and H, and that's where Neil deGrasse Tyson is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, which I have a really funny story about Neil deGrasse Tyson. If you want to hear that, I do want to hear it, and I love the name drop. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, yeah, he runs the Hayden, Planetari Hayden Planetarium there, and every summer, because they hire a bunch of interns every summer, all of their different departments, so he will throw a party um, in his office space in Hayden Planetarium, mm -hmm. and I was sitting in my office one day working, working away, and uh, somebody just knocked on the door, and they were like, hey, do you want to go to Neil deGrasse Tyson's party tonight? And I was like... Absolutely. <laughs> wow. Absolutely, I want to go party with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, so I, I, we got off work, and there were I worked with five other kids, some graduate students, some undergraduate students. But we all went, and uh, we had to go through. One of the cool things about the museum is there are a bunch of hidden like hallways and all of the collection spaces behind the scenes. And uh, it started out as one building, and they've built all of these different buildings onto it over the year. I think it's up to, like, 28 different buildings. It's massive. But in constructing this massive museum, all of these strange pathways ended up being built. So we had to go behind the scenes, go this really odd way to the planetarium. We rode this secret staff elevator-only up and the doors opened and Neil deGrasse Tyson was sitting there just talking and that, like it was my mind was blown. <laughs> yeah. And I, we were we were super excited, but uh, I actually I got to talk to him one on one 
and he told me a really hilarious story about how he was uh, the keynote speaker for the, uh, what's it called? It's like a, a giant science fair. Uh, in Washington, D.C., and all of these really smart kids come and compete. And Congress, like all the members of the House and the Senate, come and they interact with these kids. And it's it's a really prestigious big deal. And he was the keynote speaker this year. And he said that one of the kids that placed really high, he was going to give a speech to all the parents and all the members of Congress. And he had on a tie that said Harvard on it. And uh, he said that at the end of his, his keynote speech, he called this kid up. Keep in mind, they're talking in front of, you know, all of Congress, all of these kids' parents. And he goes, son, I, wanted, I want you to tell me why you have on a tie that says Harvard. And the kid goes, well, uh, I, I hope to attend Harvard when I'm finished with high school. And uh, he said, uh, I, I really don't think that's why you have on a tie that says Harvard. I think you have on a tie that says Harvard because you're wanting to ride on the coattails of people who have already attended and achieved great things. Seems- and then he took the tie off the kid in front of all of Congress and all of these parents. And he said, I still have the tie at my house. That just sounds like Neil deGrasse Tyson being mean to a child. It, well, it was, uh, maybe I made it sound like he was being, I mean, he did kind of rip this kid's ass in front of all of Congress, Valley, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> why is he ripping ass? Why is he ripping this kid's ass in front of Congress? In front of Kristen really Gilbrand. He a mean guy, though. Chuck Schumer. He was, he wasn't a mean guy. He was very nice. No, he I'm was sure. very nice. And he gave me, he autographed a wine bottle for me. So no, it's it sits on top of my fridge. I'm sure when he said it, it was meant to be achieve your own things. Don't fall into the reputation of some institution when you should be focusing on making your own mark in this world. I'm sure that was the message. That is precisely the message that I missed because the conversation that that story fell into was a conversation that we were having about uh, the fact that you can obtain an excellent education at a small university and you don't necessarily have to attend an Ivy League in order to achieve greatness. Boom. There you go. Tyson. (laughs) I got a pal who runs the sleepover program at that museum, Natural History Museum. My friend runs that program. They have like sleepovers, like night at the museum type stuff. Yeah, I really wanted to do that while I was there, but they didn't have one. My pal Pierce it sounds like runs a the program, or did at least. Oh, I, mm-hmm. I think still does. Who knew that Neil deGrasse Tyson kind of a bully? Who knew? <laughs> super, super nice guy, though. He probably yeah. would not remember me at all if you were to see me again, because that was two years ago, and I'm just some kid, but... Now, how, what, what do you do when you say you're a geologist? What do you do now? This is one of these degrees that I know is an important thing, but what does one actually do with a geology degree? Well, I graduated with my Bachelor of Science in Geology, and uh, while I was at my undergraduate institution, I studied under someone who does, um, it's called palynology. And the principle of that subfield of geology is studying studying fossilized pollen 
and other micro fossils. Um, and what we did in her lab was we would go out and sample different rocks and process the material. And then we study these fossilized pollen and spores and we can actually reconstruct past environmental changes in regional areas. You got to slow down. The adrenaline rush I'm getting from this is, I can't handle it. I'm going to, I'm trying to be very careful because one of the things that really peeved me when people talk about science is using a bunch of jargon and these wild terms that nobody knows what they're talking about. And uh, science communication is something I'm very passionate about. So I'm going to try to keep it simple and not no. do that thing. That That's nice of you. And I was just ribbing you. I think this, <laughs> this will probably be my father's favorite episode. My father has a PhD in environmental <laughs> science. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very nice. Is he a professor? He's not. He was. It's was, it was funny. My dad, when he was working his whole life, he worked. You know, he worked in uh, pharmaceuticals. He's never stopped going to school. He's a big nerd. He loves school. So he got like an MBA. Got eventually got a doctorate from uh, NJIT, and uh, just has a doctorate now. He talks sometimes about maybe becoming a professor, but he's retired. I think he's really enjoying the retired life. But he has the doctor. Guy loves water. Talk to you about water treatment all day long. I'll ask him about water treatment. He'll be like, you don't really want to hear about this. And then I'll talk about it for 40 minutes. I love it so much. That's awesome. No, I, I originally thought that I wanted to major in environmental science going into my undergrad. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had a geologist talk me out of it and pull yeah. me into the dark side. The dark side. So, poly, so, so you work in a, you work with a, a professor. How do fo, I didn't know pollen? You find fossilized pollen? Yeah. So uh, how do they it even only figure that out? It's preserved. It's preserved. Uh, somebody with a microscope someday. Mm. <laughs> no, it's only in uh, soft rocks, sedimentary rocks. Once you you go into the rocks that have been metamorphosed or igneous rocks you don't get pollen there because it's been cooked out by that point but uh yeah, yeah. Now, and soft sedimentary rocks we can get it out sure and sedimentary rocks if i remember my my basic grade school introduction to this those are rocks that become kind of like layered and pressurized and that's how they become rocks right is it's other things kind of smashed together through pressure over time am i right on that in the basic level you you're, th you're thinking about metamorphic rock. That's metamorphic rock. Okay, so then igneous, igneous yeah. comes straight out the volcano. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, I nailed that. Nailed that shit. Yeah. So what's sediment sedimentary? Uh, so I was thinking of metamorphosized. Okay, so what's sedimentary again? Sedimentary rocks are things that are deposited like on the ocean floor or in river deltas. Um Maybe, how can I explain this? Uh, <laughs> you've got uh, sediment coming down off of a mountain from erosion. You know, the mountain's constantly getting beaten down by the sun and wind and rain. So tiny bits of rock flow down off the mountain and they're uh -huh. deposited in some lake or some valley, some basin. I really appreciate your so effort. that's how you get a sedimentary rock. I love it. I love that you're explaining it in layman's terms. And I also love that you're like he <laughs> hearing me now, hearing the slight Jersey accent. You've listened to me for a year or so. And I really do appreciate that you're like, 
I get, I've, I, I've come to know Chris over time. Reasonably smart guy. Also can feel him being dumb, can feel him being dumb right now. At what level do I need this to land so he gets it? And I appreciate that. <laughs> well, no, something that drives me nuts, um, like my number one pet peeve about being a scientist, because I'm a graduate student now. I go to a different school. I'm working on a master's degree. In, in pollenology, um, pollenology? Uh, yes, that's part of it. I'm actually in a paleolimnology lab now. And what we do is we go and we take all of our fancy tools and equipment and we go to really remote lake systems or wetlands, um, like in the East African Rift Valley or Pantanal or the high Eastern Sierra. And we take sediment cores from lake bottoms. Yeah. So yeah. And we, uh, instead of just going out and studying a rock face, we actually study the, the sediments that have been left at the bottom of the lake. So what, what I'm planning to do with that for my master's degree is I'm going to get a sediment core from a lake and the uh, high eastern Sierra. And I'm going to do a pollen analysis through the last 20,000 years or so and pair that with a geochemical analysis and observe environmental change in the high eastern Sierra through time, which is important because high eastern Sierra snowpack is like the water source for California. And you're doing that? Um, and, you know. What's the timeline oh, on that? Ahead. Yeah. When are you doing this? When are you ex well, the, extracting this core? In May. In May. Of next year. Well, Thor Ragnarok's mm -hmm. coming out soon, so we all got stuff we're excited about. I got things I'm doing that I'm excited <laughs> about, too. Yeah, but I'm, I'm excited about that project because uh, I'll be able to observe environmental change in the high eastern Sierra for the last 20,000 years, That's pair that crazy. with geochemistry. And then what we aim to do with this data is there are really, really smart people who make <laughs> climate models that predict ecological response to um, basically human input. Oh, wow. Like so increased levels of CO2. Right. So like increased levels of CO2, all of the, the things that humans have done since our short time on Earth. Wow. And uh, they, they, they pair paleo, what we call paleoclimatic data, and they use it to predict how things might change given the current trends of human environmental impact. So you you basically take a big chunk of rock out of a lake bed, you look at it and you're able to analyze twenty thousand years and the rates at what thing which things happen, things that happen naturally that came and went over time, and then you can look at it and you can go and then humans invented aerosol cans and we and then things <laughs> went nuts. You can you can see that. So you look at the past and sort of chart how things went over long spans of time, and that helps provide. Uh, a baseline of information for the people studying how out of control things are getting now. Right. Damn. How screwed are we? Are we really screwed? Well, I think that's the question we all want to ask, right? A nice casual, how much is the earth dying? Something to think about. 
But you know, before the earth dies, you're living a life. Your life probably needs products, probably needs services. And luckily we got advertisers bringing those things to you. That's a segue right there, baby. Anyway, enjoy these words from our advertisers. They help us bring you the show for free. We'll be back after this with more phone call. Recently, I have had the opportunity to use HelloFresh, and I do not know why I waited for so long. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service. It shops, plans, delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. With HelloFresh, all the ingredients are delivered right to your door in recyclable, insulated packaging. They come pre-measured and handied labeled meal kits so you know which ingredients go with which recipe. This is a very good thing. It's a very organized system where you're not sorting out all sorts of stuff on your own. Really loved that aspect of it. And HelloFresh offers a wide variety of chef-curated recipes that change weekly. We're talking about the classic plan, wide variety of meat, fish, seasonal produce, the veggie plan, which I use, vegetarian recipes with plant-based proteins, family plan, quick, easy meals for the whole family. Family's going to love them. And better yet, you can choose a delivery day that works best for your busy schedule. You can pause your account for weeks at a time. Very, very similar. You know what I like? HelloFresh makes it very easy to cook delicious, balanced dinners, and it's for less than 10 bucks a meal. That's no joke. I run around a lot. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who you you got these busy lives. You don't always know exactly when you're going to be home. HelloFresh makes it very easy to cook at home and it's not time consuming. My wife and I, we actually cooked them with friends. We had friends, uh, we all met up and we we said, let's just all get together and cook at home. And we actually made a night out of it. We cooked two or three HelloFreshes. We ate them and it was like a good social experience. It was a really genuinely good experience. Time. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com. Enter the promo code STORIES30. That's S-T-O-R-I-E-S-3-0 at HelloFresh.com. You get 30 bucks off. You're going to love it. Support for today's show and the following message comes from Audible. Get an exclusive collection of listens from renowned relationship expert Esther Perel, free with a trial Audible membership. This collection includes her new audiobook, The State of Affairs, which will have you rethinking infidelity, plus... Seasons one and two of her groundbreaking series, Where Should We Begin?, which Vogue calls provocative, intriguing, and insightful all at once. It's all up there. You want to start your free trial? Visit audible.com slash Esther. That's E-S-T-H-E-R. That's audible.com slash Esther. Start your free trial of Audible. Get access to this exclusive collection. Thanks so much again to the sponsors who helped make this show happen. If you hear anything that might help your life out, please do use the promo code to help the show. In the meantime, let's get back to this phone call. How screwed are we? Are we really screwed? Um, Okay, I have, uh, as far as like, I don't like to call it global warming because I think that that is a misleading term because the earth isn't just warming. We're seeing lots of different extremes that we've never seen before and climate changing in other ways than just getting hotter. So I, I, I strictly call it climate change, but um, it's, it's a different opinion that I carry. See, the, the earth will be fine without us. It's, uh, it, it's gone through six mass extinction. Well, five were in the sixth mass extinction in geological history. It's, it, I mean, the earth has seen some shit. Sorry, Sally. <laughs> yeah. No, sorry, Aunt Karen, too. back. My aunt, if I can interrupt for a second, my aunt Karen recently told me she was listening to the show on a speaker on her deck and I was being very potty mouthed and her neighbor heard it. And I want to say not just sorry to Sally, but sorry to aunt Karen as well. 
Anyway, so sorry. Thank you. So this is a terrifying. I said, "How screwed are we?" You gave a terrifying answer. Your answer was, "The Earth will be fine," but it sounds like you are saying that we might be leading to our own extinction as a as a species. Right. So oh. I mean, that's that's essentially what's going to happen. Wow, you're awfully if, cash if, about I it. I mean, well, when you have to think daily basis, my my line of work, I think on multi billion year scales, you kind of get casual about it. Right, right. <laughs> but um, what frustrates me the most is uh, people who don't necessarily agree with conservation efforts and doing our best to reduce CO2 emissions and doing what we can to preserve our natural resources, blah, 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 the left-wing tree hugger stuff that we should all try to participate in. <laughs> but people who don't agree with that stuff, stuff and they they cheer for things like Trump rolling back environmental regulations. They cheer for stuff like that. So what frustrates me is that they don't understand that efforts to preserve our environment are completely self-serving. It's not right. because we, you know, we want to go out and we want to hug trees and protect the fishies and swim in the creek. It's because if we don't do something, if we don't change the way that we operate, if we don't reduce our emissions, if we don't take a better care of our planet, we are going to die. It's not the planet. The planet will be fine. It's us. Do they have any guesstimates on when we're wiping ourselves out? How many, because uh, you said you look at the, the billions of years scale, but this thing's hitting a fever pitch. You know, it's tough to, because I, I do remember like people, you know, there's, I always feel like there's a thing that is talked about a little bit, but we don't talk about it enough, which is like, when it comes to like weather and when it comes to stuff like that, I feel like that's one of the things that the news gets alarmist about and ratings on. Because I remember when I was a kid in the 80s, it was acid rain. The rain's going to burn our skin when it falls. It's acid rain. And maybe sometimes people are so used to like, oh, yeah, they always shove this stuff down our throat. Maybe that's where some of this denial comes from. But it's, this this is clearly this is clearly true. You got a sense of uh, you got a, how much time we got left. We got 100 years before we really blow it. Got 500 years. When do we blow this well, one? If you look at the models that are predicting, see, one of the big problems, and it's not just um, – the, work, the earth getting warmer, that is an issue, right? There are other things that are an issue, like the acidity in the ocean mm-hmm. getting out of control mm-hmm. because it's a huge sink for CO2. The more CO2 we release into the atmosphere, the more CO2 is, observed, is absorbed into the ocean. The pH rises. I won't go into ocean chemistry, but anyway. Oh, Ken Gethard. Ken Gethard is ocean. flipping out. You just said pH of the ocean. You know, my father has a patent. You know, my father has a patent on a desalination device. Oh, wow. That's impressive. One of the big issues with it, he's told me about, though, is you can remove salt from salt water, but then where do you put the salt? Where do you do with it? And I think this is the type of thing you're talking about. Yeah. Who knows? So the uh, acidic uh, levels of the ocean are getting messed up on top of the warmer stuff. What else? What else? What are the other things that are we're not always talking about? Well, where I was going with the uh, the ocean pH issue, I mean, the models are saying that by the year 2100, the oceans are going to be so acidic that a lot of the, the critters that live in the ocean that build calcite and aragonite shells aren't going to be able to live. And then the things that eat them can't live. And then the things that 
drag them out of the water and eat those things can't live. And those are the things we eat, so we yeah. can't live. Yeah. Yeah, you're looking at a you're looking at a a, a complex issue there. It's, and by if the models are correct by 2100, which I mean, very smart people who are very good at math do those models. So you know, my money is on them. Yeah. And when you say we're in the middle of the sixth extinction, I have heard this before. What exactly is that? Just the the rate at which species are dying out qualifies it as a mass extinction. Right. Wow, simple. That's just a simple yep. yes. Mm-hmm. And we've recently uh, entered, because all of geologic time, each era, period, system, whatever, has its own name, but we've recently entered what geologists are now referring to as the Anthropocene, which means the era of humans. The era, we're just entering the era and, of humans now. Mm-hmm. So that means we've kind of just established our foothold where we're truly dominant on Earth. Yeah, I mean, before that we were in the Holocene. Now we've transitioned in the. And I mean, I'm sure that if you talk to some geologists, they would probably push the start of the Anthropocene a couple thousand years back. But I mean, in the last, I mean, since the Industrial Revolution, you know, we've that's really when we've kind of started to screw things up. I mean, all of this has happened so quickly. One of my favorite analogies is the the toilet paper roll analogy when talking about geologic time, because the Earth has been in existence for 4.56 billion years. And if you were to roll out, I think it's two and a half rolls of toilet paper, the human population would take up a centimeter of the last yeah. sheet. Yeah. I was in LA. So it's happening really quickly. I was in LA. I went to the tar pits and they had a big chart on a wall that showed exactly what you're talking about. The drop in the water that is humanity. Yeah. Wow. This is is getting depressing. Well, it is, but that's life, right? A constant slog to find happiness before we punch too many holes in the uh, atmosphere. And then we all got to beg Elon Musk for a seat on the Mars or flight and I beg him and then we just leave this to the robots we build so they can tell our story well Elon Musk I, I'm sorry I don't think he's ever going to make it to Mars who knows I mean he's he's trying to get people to sign up to die on Mars right you're not coming back <laughs> oh god bless his heart you do you're a fan you're a fan of what he's going for I mean, I am a, I am a fan. I think he, he's a very smart guy, and what he's doing is admirable. But I don't think that he's ever going to uh, he's ever going to make it to Mars. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, oddly enough, <laughs> I was listening to him on a Katie Kirk podcast, a Katie Kirk show, or whatever it's called, and they were talking about Elon Musk, and he made a really good point when he says. You know, Elon goes into a meeting, asks for billions of dollars to put people on Mars, and the investors are like, well, why do you want to do this? It's like, just to see if we can, (laughs) and nobody's going to provide that amount of money for just to see if we can. But on the other hand, NASA is a governmental organization, and we have more of a – it would be more of a benefit for the federal government 
to find out whether or not people can be on Mars, right? Sure. We're going to colonize it. You're saying the government should figure out if this is doable. Well, I think that they would be more likely to get the money to do it. Yeah. Before now, Elon would. You've now but. slammed, you've sni- you, you, you besmirched the name of Neil deGrasse Tyson. You've slammed Elon Musk. <laughs> you love rocks and you hate space. That's what I'm learning. <laughs> you love rocks. You no, hate space. Space. Is, space is good. We need, we need scientists in all areas of life. Space is good. I'll now, just stick to the earth. Here's a question. Are there any scientists that you respect who aren't being paid off by corporate interests who disagree with any of the climate stuff? Not that I'm aware of. Wow. A universal across the board. Anybody who's not taking money to say otherwise is saying, we got to stop. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's been my experience. I've been to multiple international meetings. Uh, I've met with some of the brightest people in earth science and i mean that is the consensus we've got to do something now when you say we've got to do something i don't know if this is your area expertise you seem like you like getting into the lab looking at the rocks are there simple things we can do like there's things we don't realize like here's one thing i learned a few years ago that i was pretty shocked by is like bottled water huge huge negative impact on the environment, bottled water. Most of us drink it every day. Because what we don't think about, it's not just the plastic production, it's that you have a faucet at home, you could drink from that, you like the bottled water, well not only does that create plastic, you also have to transport that. So now we're using up tons of fossil fuels to get that stuff into crates and on ships, and all those emissions from that gas are totally unnecessary when you think about it. You just drink tap water. That's like a thing I'd never think about, which was explained to me. And I said, ah, I get it now. Yeah, I mean, little little life changes like that. I mean, eating, not even cutting out meat, but eating less meat because so many greenhouse gases are created and emitted by animal, industrial animal farming. Um, they're just driving an economy-sized car. There are so many small life changes that each of us could make in order to help and to make a difference. So that thing um, about the cows is true. Because the, the layman's terms I've heard is that basically people say these big cattle farms, if you look at the ozone layer above them, they're thinner because cows fart all the time and it creates clouds of methane gas. That's the uneducated version I've heard. How true is this cow's farting problem? So it's true. It's 100% true. <laughs> That's it? Cow farts? Cow farts are as big an issue as I've heard? I mean, yes, they are. They're a huge issue. There's actually a good documentary on Netflix called Cowspiracy. <laughs> really? And it's good. It has a name like Cowspiracy. And you're saying as a scientist, you give yes. it a thumbs up. That's an unfortunate name they picked, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's catchy. It'll get people to watch. Cowspiracy, worth watching. Yes, I do recommend Cowspiracy. Okay. Now, I also heard, is it true that they've recently found there's a certain type of seaweed that stops cows from farting? And I, I'm not sure about that. I just read about that on Reddit. I'm not a Reddit. cow fart expert. Read about that on Reddit, a <laughs> website that you can always uh, reliably trust as fact. Reddit. 
Yeah, Reddit is a slippery slope. Oh, you're telling me everybody's got a goddamn opinion. Everybody on Facebook and Reddit <laughs> and Twitter got a goddamn opinion. Wants to tell you how bad your TV show is. But that's another story for another day. Another story for another day. Don't, don't let them tell you that your TV show is bad. I guarantee you it's not bad. Well, you haven't even seen it. I haven't even seen it. The cord cutter. Bookish cord you cutter. Mean, didn't you have... You had Method Man on not too long ago, didn't you? We did have Method Man on. He was the It can't be best. a bad show if you've got Method Man coming on the yeah, show. He was the coolest. He got high with about 15 of my writers. It was awesome. I wasn't there. <laughs> I wasn't there. It was awesome. Now, how does the fact that you've trained your brain to think in terms of not thousands, not millions, but billions of years... Does that affect your personal life at all? Do you see things a little differently than the rest of us? Uh, I mean, no. I'm, I go to school slash work, and uh, I'm a scientist. But then I come home, and I'm a just regular person. I mean, I guess I do think about that stuff more often than most people. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm a pretty normal cat. Normal cat. So you don't sit around thinking about... If I reproduce someday, it's X amount of generations before the ocean is pure acid and everything's screwed. You don't, you don't sit and think in terms of that? I won't lie. I have had that exact thought. <laughs> Nailed it. I don't it. dwell on it. <laughs> Get through strikes again. Get through strikes again. Wow. So you do. You've had that thought and you just kind of have to shut off your brain. And remember, I also have to live for the now with what we've got. Or else I'll go insane. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've, I tr I try to leave the the climate science at school and work. Yeah. And come home and be a normal person. Yeah. Here's another question: What's the coolest thing you ever found in a rock? Uh, I got really obsessed when I was an undergrad with finding. <laughs> this dung fungi in my samples called Sporomiella. Dung fungi. And the reason I got really, yes, fungi that grows on poop. Now, there's a reason that I was super intrigued by this fungi. And it's because when you find it in a palynological sample, it is indicative that there were large herbivores in the area during the time of deposition. Mm-hmm. So you can use these dung fungi abundances in your pollen samples to kind of tease out what kind or how many large animals were roaming in that area, like mammoths and whatever. And I just thought that that was so cool. And then, I was hooked on I did a term paper on it and everything. Wow. And then do you coordinate with your peers who are in paleontology and say, hey, you're going to want to focus in on this area to look for fossils of... Uh, mammoths and mastodons and those big horses they used to have that were 80 feet tall. Do you tell them to focus in there? It's their communication. Uh, or do they know? They not know. really know. Now, how would you now, feel if are... I told you this is by far the nerdiest episode of Beautiful Anonymous that's ever happened? I self-identify as a nerd, so that's okay. Oh, you, you, I'm not going to, I'm going to say something a little harsh. 
you better self-identify as a nerd because if you didn't, the world would identify you for you. As soon as you said the phrase dung fungi, you don't have a choice in this. You don't have, I'm glad you're self-aware. But yeah, once we said, I was on the, was on the fence. I was like, is this the nerdiest conversation I've ever had? And then I heard the phrase dung fungi and I said, yes, it is. And I own over 10,000 comic books. I've had some nerdy conversations. I used to have the Star Wars encyclopedia memorized in high school. I've had some big time nerdy conversations. This takes the cake. Dung fungi. Yeah, I mean, if my boyfriend pulls up and comes home, I can put him on the line and he can talk about Godzilla if you want to get really nerdy. Now, what's he do? <laughs> He's also a geologist. He is, but he loves Godzilla. Mm-hmm. That. So when he finds evidence, he of, does. When he finds evidence of dinosaurs, does he just freak out? No, he's not really into paleontology. He's not sure what he wants to specialize yet. Specialize in yet. He's still doing his undergraduate degree. Yeah, this is awesome. You live in a whole different world than I do. The things you have to think about. <laughs> uh, the you might find the story and uh, behind how I actually met this guy pretty intriguing. Okay. If you want to hear that. Uh, I'm sure I'll be judged incredibly hard for this, but. Oh, this this sounds like it has potential. Interesting story about meeting one's significant other. Always goes well. We'll hear that story and so much more when we come back. In the meantime, we got our sponsors. Help us bring you the show for free. Listen to what they have to say. Use the promo codes if you like them. We'll be right back. Imagine if John Lennon could give you life advice. Well, he can. In Questions for Lennon, the Stitcher Premium Series is back for season four. If you have not heard previous seasons of the show, John Lennon's played by Mike Hanford. Really hilarious. I did an episode of Comedy Bang Bang once. Earwolf fans might remember I was in there with John Lennon, played by Mike Hanford, and it was bizarre and hilarious. And on this podcast, he answers questions sent in by listeners. Guess what? Scott stops by this season. So does Betsy Sidardo, Paul Rust, Aaron Whitehead, Darcy Carden, my old pal Darcy, Paul F. Tompkins, a lot of the Earwolf people that everyone knows and loves are going to be there. Check it out. Listen to questions for Lennon on Stitcher Premium for a free month. You go to stitcherpremium.com slash Lennon. Use the promo code STORIES. Thanks again to all of our advertisers. Now let's finish off the phone call story and uh behind how i actually met this guy pretty intriguing okay if you want to hear that Uh, i'm sure i'll be judged incredibly hard for this but uh we were doing our undergraduate degree together and i had been in the program for a couple of years i'm we met when i was a senior or no a junior and uh, he came into the program as a transfer student and i was actually dating and living with another guy at the time. Another scientist? That I had, no, he was uh, into social work. I was hoping you were gonna say MMA fighter. Yeah, (laughs) no, no, definitely not. But (laughs) I I met this this guy and uh, he came into the, and I was just immediately taken with him. It was the first time I had ever experienced anything. Like as soon as I like, laid my eyes on him i was like wow wow something special so more lust more lust and, than anything there was a lust there oh it was one 100 lust when it first started wow 
And I, I kind of pushed it, pushed it, pushed it down. I was like, you know what? You're in a relationship with somebody else. You can't have feelings for another person of this nature. You got to shut it down. This is not okay. But we became friends, and I just like I, I, I fell in love with them. You did. I fell head over heels in love with them, and I couldn't, I couldn't deny that so you anymore. Had to, so you had to have a tough conversation. Well, oh, I'll tell you how this conversation went. We uh, we had a a date to not well, no, it wasn't necessarily a date. I think if we were to look back on it now, it was a date. But we were going to study together for a final, and he came over to my ex's and mine apartment. And my my ex was currently away, being a camp counselor for a program that mentored children who had experienced <laughs> significant loss. So this is a good guy. Yeah, he was he was a pretty good guy. This guy trying to do some good in this um, world. <laughs> yeah, so he's he's essentially away at camp for kids with you know, a dead parent or two uh-huh, uh-huh. trying to mentor them and bring brightness into their life. And, uh, he, this, my current boyfriend came over that night and it was just, it was so obvious. This was the point that I realized I couldn't not pursue it because I felt so strongly about him. And he he left that evening. Nothing happened at all. There was no dirty business. Okay. I did not do anything. That's good. I was I getting nervous. I did not do anything. Was getting nervous. I did not do anything before I broke up with this other guy. Well, that's good because when as soon as he Nothing. said he was at a camp for traumatized children, I think all of us <laughs> listening held our breath and said, "Oh, please no! Oh, please no!" So I'm glad you did it the right way, no. the difficult way, but the right way. Yeah, he came home that Sunday, and uh, I I came in because I had been away studying for a chemistry exam, and I said, uh, I don't think that we should be together anymore. And this, I mean, this came really out of left field. I still feel bad about it because, like, I totally blindsided this guy. He had no idea that our relationship was in, like, any sort of trouble at all. And uh, that was a really, really hard thing to do. Yeah. But it was all in the name of love. It sounds like this love you have now is very real. Yeah, he's he's pretty great. I'm a lot happier, and I think that this other guy is probably a lot happier because looking back, we weren't really all that compatible. Yeah. Now, what would you say was a more exciting discovery in your life, the true love or the dung fungi? Definitely the true love. Really? I am a hopeless romantic. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought you were going to say dung fungi. <laughs> You're going to say a little mushroom growing in some dung. 10,000 years ago. No, it's, it's the guy. That's nice. It's very nice. Now it's pronounced fungi, huh? I always heard fungi. Uh, I, either way, potato, potato. <laughs> fungi fungi potato potato <laughs> let's call the whole thing off <laughs> oh gosh man is there 
what else could we talk about other than apocalyptic climate science? I mean, that's a pretty big one. We got about 17 minutes left. It's up to you what you want to do with them. You heard about your blossoming love, apocalyptic climate science. Got to fix these oceans. You know, I have to say. Yeah. I have, I've always wanted, if I, I told myself that I were, if I were to ever actually get through to you, I would really say thank you and praise how open you are about mental health. Well, thanks. I do my and best. And actually going out, yeah, going out and, pers- and, you know, getting help when you need it is, uh, it's, it's a really good thing. And, uh, I, I, I'm currently in therapy. That's awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. And it's been a great thing. And I, now that I've actually taken the leap and done it myself, I've been in it since probably, I think it was July, July, August. Oh, that's awesome. July, August that I started. Yeah. Nice. Well, I, so imagine, I always told myself that I would... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I would imagine... I, I would think a lot of people in your line of work probably get into therapy because they're seeing glimpses of a future that's like dystopian and terrifying. You would, you know, you would think that that would be why <laughs> I, yeah. I started to go to therapy. But no, um, I actually have really terrible body dysmorphia. Uh, that sucks. That I've been diagnosed with and, you know, borderline eating disorder sort of habits. And uh, that's yeah. what I've started going for. And that, that, God, that is a tough battle. And let me, because I don't know, I, I, I know the phrase, I know people who have mentioned they have it. For anybody who's not familiar, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not 100% on this. Body dysmorphia is the idea that when you look in the mirror, you are perceiving your own body as different than people who encounter you would. You would describe yourself differently than other people would. Is that the Precisely, basics? yeah. Is that the basics, yeah. So you might look in the mirror and say, yeah. uh, you might look in the mirror and say that you're too skinny or too heavy, whereas anybody else would say, no, you're right on target. What are you talking about? But you really truly believe that there's something that's extreme about you that's not there. Yeah. I'm sorry you deal with that. That's really that's rough stuff. That's not good. Yeah, it's a it's a it's. I actually was kind of down spiraling today with that. I couldn't get it out of my brain, and I was texting my boyfriend, you know, complaining about it, saying this is so frustrating. I'm so happy I have therapy on Friday. Blah blah blah. But yeah, it's it's it, I'm stuck in I'm constantly stuck in a limbo where I I have this idea that I am fine just the way that I am. I don't need to change anything about myself. I need to love myself for exactly who I am and what I look like in this moment. And then there is this other half of me that is like, you need to be thinner. Yeah. I you get need it. to look a certain way. I have, yeah. I have days where I look in the mirror and I go, I, I, you know, I turned out to be a pretty all right looking guy. And then there's other days where I look in it and I go, I'm a big headed monster. I recently said that to my wife. She put a picture of me on Instagram. I said, oh, I'm a big headed monster in that. And she said, don't you say that about my husband. I said, don't you ever say that about my husband. Isn't it incredible how we can say 
such negative things about ourselves. But if we were, if somebody were to ask us to say those same things to someone else, we wouldn't even dream about it. Oh, never, never. I'm, I mean, to be fair, I'm also in a line of work where people will sometimes tell me online that I am in fact a big headed monster. So that doesn't help these <laughs> feelings, but I am also prone to them on a personal level as well. Okay, well, people who aren't don't aren't so bored and you know have such dissatisfying lives that they feel yes. the need to get online and attack strangers. Yes, negative headed people. <laughs> yes, you have to try to avoid the negative cesspool people who live lives of torment and pain where they can only find any sense of control or uh, or or alpha status on the internet. You have to try to cut those people out because I also know if you met. 90% of those people, you've met them in real life, they wouldn't say a word to you. And if they did, you'd pop them in the no. mouth and you'd know for a fact it would be the first time they ever took a shot. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you got to ignore those people. I'm sorry that you deal with that. I'm glad you're getting help. That's very nice. It's funny. Yeah. I'm it's very, a... You thanked me for being open and I got to say, I'm very I'm very happy that that certain things I've done the HBO special in particular have hit people that way. It's funny, since that special, I've actually been a lot less open about it. It's an interesting thing about that. It's been a you crazy. mean you've been less open about it personally? Well, I feel like I put everything out there personally, but what happened, which I guess was a little bit anticipated, but sort of theoretical, as you know, as a scientist, things are theoretical and you can kind of make assumptions and guesses, but once it becomes real, you don't quite know how it's going to go. I, I I knew theoretically that it was going to open up floodgates of people telling me their own stories, but I had no idea. And it means so much to me. Um, and people reach out all the time. And it really, like it is, the, the fact that people have expressed that maybe I did something that allowed them to have some conversations um, that I never felt like I was able to have when I was young. It's It's beautiful and I'm so proud of it, but... I've had to kind of turn off, I've kind of had to avoid those conversations. I get a lot of Facebook messages where I will see in the first line or so that that it's about people discussing this stuff and I don't even open the messages because they can see that I open them and I don't want to, I don't want to open them and have people see that I opened them and didn't answer them. But I know it causes me too much pain to constantly realize how much hurt there is in the world surrounding this stuff. So I feel like I kind of turned on a faucet in a way and uh, it it's not my right to turn it off but I also have to protect myself a little bit so I've, I've actually kind of crawled into a hole when it comes to the mental health conversations just a lot of people hurting yeah that's 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 right yeah that's why it's so much more common than people think oh uh, you have no idea you have no idea seen it up close and it's people from all walks of life you have no idea it's scary stuff yeah and it's it's sad that there's such a stigma around going and getting help oh it's the worst it's the worst i don't like it i'm glad you did i'm glad you did yeah i fought it for a long time i won't lie i didn't want to do it which is so funny i didn't want to do it because as a scientist you know better than anybody that there's a method 
And there, there, there's a method towards progress. There's a method towards figuring things out, nailing things down, what's really going on. And I think especially cognitive behavioral therapy is built to kind of embrace that. And even you as a scientist who understands the idea of like you put in works, work, there's science to things, there's methods to things. Even you resisted it, huh? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm still, yeah, I'm a scientist, but I'm also very human. Yeah. And it's scary. And what, what really frightened me was I didn't want some person that I didn't know, like, going in with a ninja sword and dissecting my inner yeah, psyche. Of course. <laughs> telling me, you know, why I felt this way and what experiences caused me to feel this way about myself. And, you know, and I also had kind of the irrational fear that I would like uncover some suppressed memories that I had completely, you know, just pushed down because something traumatic happened to me, even though I had a pretty good idea that nothing like that ever did happen. That was a really irrational fear that I had about therapy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That you'll churn stuff up that does more harm than good. If yeah. only you could. But I have to say that that. If only you could extract your psyche as easily as you can extract a billion-year-old rock core from a lake bed, you'd have it all figured out. <laughs> From the dung yeah. fungi of your mind and your heart. <laughs> I have a feeling that this episode is going to be titled Dung Fungi. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> Although I'll, I'll tell you something out there, dear listeners. We have found that the downloads really spike if the word sex is in the title. It's really remarkable. If we put like the word sex or swingers in the title, we get like 10,000 more downloads. <laughs> it's nuts. Dung funny. Maybe if you could just say one thing, if one phrase involving the word sex completely out of context, we'll name it that. Everybody will listen for 52 minutes, be like, what the <laughs> hell was this called uh, dildo parade for? And then this, this part will come up and they'll say, oh, it was a cheap download grab. Well, I guess... Uh... Because I study fossilized pollen and spores, I basically study fossilized plant splooge. <laughs> you could call it plant splooge. <laughs> we will call it plant splooge. Can we note that? Jared didn't have... Oh, I see Jared's got a pen out. Fossilized plant splooge. You think fossilized plant splooge or just plant splooge? I would just call it plant splooge. Plant splooge it is. I'm so glad we gave you the chance to name it yourself. Have you used the phrase plant splooge before in reference to what you study? Yes. Plant splooge. You effectively study plant splooge, ancient plant splooge. That's what it is, huh? That's what spores are. Yeah, pollen and spores. And then it floats through the air until it finds a receiver, and that's how plants reproduce. Or bees, bees drop off the splooge. Yeah, that's part of the, something you have to take into consideration in my line of work is modes of pollen transportation and how they they get to where they're going. Because there are constraints, it's not a perfect science, but you can get a pretty good idea of what you're going for. Yeah. So when all the bees were dying and everybody said it was a big mystery and it seems like it's turned out to just be, no, pesticides, that must have been pretty frustrating for you, you guys, the pollen, the pollen studies world. 
Uh, well, actually, I, I don't really think about bees that much. <laughs> I think bees are incredibly important, and we should definitely be doing what we can to preserve them, because if bees die, we die. You are um, but so beautifully nerdy, and I can't applaud it at all. <laughs> do you wear but, glasses? Uh, no, can I, I ask, I really do you wear glasses? Them. I wear contact lenses. Oh, I'm thinking about getting LASIK. Okay, here's... I'm thinking about getting LASIK, but then I I would love to get LASIK. I feel like my whole image is built around my glasses, though. Everybody knows me from my glasses. I can't ever get LASIK. And people will just... Yeah, I guess they'll have to. What were you going to say? What were you going to say? Well, we're talking about how nerdy I am. And I would just like to say that I was a cheerleader for 13 years. Whoa, bucking the that's expectation. Not something, yes, that's not something people typically associate with being nerdy. That's awesome. That's a cool dichotomy. Yeah, I was a cool kid. I just grew up to be nerdy. You were a cool kid who became a nerd. That's awesome. That's awesome. Gives hope to all the nerdy boys out there, I'm sure. The cheerleaders. <laughs> the cheerleaders are nerds deep down, too. And all the, oh, yeah. it's all the a, other nerdy people who are attracted to femme identifying uh, people. I should, say that. I should say that as well. And I mean it. I should say that and I, I do mean it. Yeah, I mean, that's an accurate description. We've got about three minutes left, my friend. I've enjoyed this call. I've learned a lot. I apologize if any Man, of my jokes were inappropriate. By. Uh, it's been it's been great. I'm trying to think. Is there anything else that I would I used to, if I ever get through to Chris? What am I going to say? Is there anything else that falls into that category that I've forgotten? I'm all ears. Hmm. Now I will say that I worked for the National Park Service last year during their centennial celebration, mm-hmm. and. Absolutely, all of your listeners, go to your national parks, go to your state parks, support your parks, get out, go outside. It's really important. It's an amazing organization. Yes, yeah. 100% go if, parks. If you don't use them, they're going to try to take them away. How bad do you want to get a post at Volcanoes National Park? How bad? Have you thought about that? You know about this place? No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not much. I mean, yeah, Volcanoes is cool because it's, you know, Hawaii. But, but what about all the, uh, there's so much odd and unexpected plant life out there and the volcanoes affected. Yeah. I no, went there, there on my honeymoon. I went to the volcanoes national park on my honeymoon. There's an active erupting volcano there. It's amazing. There's whole stretches of it where like my wife would go on jogs across like these long stretches of plantless black rock. And that was just where lava had solidified. The park ranger made fun of me. Park ranger made fun of me. Some guy in the park ranger outfit, the little shorts and the hat. He makes he made fun of me <laughs> publicly during a talk. <laughs> talked about, talked about my masculinity. It's weird. It's weird. We said the park. They tend to be sassy. When I worked for the parks, I was serving as a paleontologist um, where I was, and it was. I had people would bring in random bits of crap they'd found in their backyards while they were putting in a swimming pool or whatever. And, you know, every single last one of them thinks that they've got 
a T-Rex skull yeah. <laughs> or something yeah. along those lines. And uh, they somebody had brought something in, and they thought that it was a dinosaur leg bone of whatever you know sorts. And I was on my way out of the visitor center, and they they stopped me. The two girls that were working at this, they were like, "Oh, there's our our summer paleontologist. Let's ask her." I took one look at it, and I was like, "That's fossilized wood." Paleontologist out, and I walked to my car. <laughs> wow, you dropped the mic paleontologist style drop the yeah, mic yeah that was pretty funny that's yeah see I had this guy and I'm making it people are gonna get mad I'm telling my own story making it about me guy was telling a story about like Hawaiian culture how like the uh, natives used to blow this horn to see who the chief was they said the chief was the alpha male then he points at me he's like like that guy real alpha male and I want in front of my wife on my honeymoon. I wanted to be like, "Hey, Ranger Rick, fuck off!" Like, you don't know who you're messing with. But I didn't. I didn't want to embarrass my wife. Anyway, I'm so sorry I made it about me yet again. You're the best, and I really enjoy no, you. I love to hear your stories. Thank I love you. to listen to your stories. And I listen I, to your podcast. I mean, Beautiful Anonymous is the highlight of my Tuesday. That's so nice, and I loved your stories. You were so kind and informative and funny, and I thank you. Well, thank you for being you. Good people keep being good people. Caller, thank you so much. Thanks for all the information. Thanks for all the anecdotes. Thanks for all the kind words. I really enjoyed my talk with you. Thank you so much. Also, thanks to Jared O'Connell, Harry Nelson in the booth this week, hanging out. Uh, we keep track of all this stuff. Thanks to the Reverend John DeLore and Greta Cohn for building the show in the early days. Thank you to Shellshag for the music. Want to know about me, including my dates on the road? ChrisGeth.com. If you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. Really does help so much more than you know. Thanks so much. And I'm glad you support this thing. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, a guy who got hit really hard in the head tells us what that was like. Now, how are you? Uh, I'm, I'm, get, I'm doing, I'm getting there. I'm doing all right. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> getting there. What's that mean? Well, uh, I have spent the better part of, uh, I think five months now in bed. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Why? What's going on? I uh, I had a head injury. Uh, I remember specifically June nineteenth. <laughs> June nineteenth, twenty seventeen. Head injury. What happened? That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous. Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. Please welcome to the show, Norman Lear. Who happened to make it also to Gilbert Gottfried and his podcast. 
Ira Glass. Very happy to be here. This is Joyce Van Patten. Hi, this is Frank Conniff. Hi, I'm Dee Wallace. Hi, this is Tom Bergeron. Hey, everybody, this is Tommy James. Hey, I'm Clint Howard. Hi there, I'm Jackie the Joke Man Marley. Hi, I'm Bobcat Goldthwait. I don't do that voice anymore. Well, I guess if you gave me money. You're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. What an introduction. It gave me shit chills. <laughs> damn, damn, damn. <laughs> Thank you, Johnny. Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast, available on iTunes, Earwolf, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts can be heard. New episodes every Monday, with bonus episodes on Stitcher Premium every Thursday. Go to gilbertpodcast.com for more info. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit earwolf.com. Earwolf.